Hey guys, what's up? It is week 301 and I have a handful of reviews for you, so let's hop right in. First up is going to be from Arrow Films, and this is The House That Screamed. Now, I covered this before. This uh, was originally put out by Screen Factory on Blu-ray um, a few years back. I think I covered it, so uh, I think it's out of print. It's nice to see Arrow reissue this one. It's made in 1969. It's a Spanish film. Now, you can watch it in Spanish or English. This is a really solid kind of gothic, you know, uh, school girls in peril kind of movie, if that makes any If anybody's ever seen kind of like the girls go to school. It's a classic, like, Euro trope. It's in a lot of English films, Italian films. And that's exactly what this is. A lot of Hammer films follow this trope as well. Uh, basically boarding school, something mysterious is going on. And on the back it basically says it's a great gap between Psycho and Suspiria. I would 100% agree with that. I would say that there's definitely more some more gothic elements but Suspiria has those as well. So essentially what we have here is a young girl is sent to this boarding school um, in Christine Garbo. Uh, basically her big cult uh, film would be Let Sleeping Corpses Lie aka Living Dead at Manchester Morgue from 74 great film and uh, she basically starts to realize this place isn't right it's creepy the head mister, head lady is just cold and uh, very distant but she basically has an underling who's also a student there who is ruthless so before long she's starting to be picked on and all these kind of tropes and stuff like that but uh, what really kind of struck me this time around, this is a second view, um, is how wonderful the cinematography was. I, I realized that the set design's gorgeous. It, it's like very atmospheric, and they definitely get a lot of it with the camera angles, the slow kind of moving around. It's just wonderfully done, creates a lot of thick atmosphere. Another cult actor that I think a lot of people recognize in here is the young kid from Deep End. Um, one year later after this one, he was in Deep End, which is a really kind of good psychological kind of film, psychological drama, really twisted. And the actor would go on to be in Vampire Circus. This one, he plays the uh, the head uh, ladies, basically the, the head, I don't want to say mistress, that's not really the name, but the head kind of lady's uh, son. And he's really awkward and strange. So uh, it does take a while for like some murders and things to happen. But another thing that took me back was how, how the murders are filmed. They're not overly gratuitous um, in comparison today, but they are gratuitous for 69. Um, and this is the extended cut. Um, the finishing school is, I believe, what it's called in the extended form at 104 minutes, and there is a theatrical, which is, I think, 90 minutes. So, But the murders here, they just tend to, um, what they do is they'll have a character, they'll have the music swelling up and the suspense building up, and then it'll all of a sudden freeze frame, right? And we'll on like the most horrifying moment, and we'll kind of be stuck in that that moment for a long time. You know, kind of how I guess this is a weird comparison, but hey, I'm an idiot. So how Peck and Paul would slow down the gunshots when people got hit, so you kind of live in that fear instead of living in the pain of the moment. You live in the fear, and then it would kind of go back to normal for this, and we'd see a brutal throat slit, and it happens a couple times, and both times I I, I thought that the outcome came across fairly disturbing. There's uh there's like a lot of creepy side red herring characters and everything. Thing. But the end of the movie, it, it delivers really well. Um, part Psycho, part May, uh, part Suspiria, all these little things in there. Um, the director actually did another uh, famous horror film from Spain from 1976 called Who Can Kill a Child, which is a really good, excellent killer kids movie. Um, pretty much... Uh, 
Stephen King must have saw that movie and wrote the short story for Children of the Corn and just ran with it because that's essentially what it is. Although, Who Can Kill a Child is leaks better than Children of the Corn. No offense to Children of the Corn, I do enjoy it. But it's it's not Who Can Kill a Child. There's no doubt about that. But uh, as far as the special features are concerned, now it looks like they ported over a lot of the uh, old features. I feel like the interview, The Boy's Innocence, a previously unreleased interview, I guess it's unreleased, never mind, with actor John Mulder Brown. And I do remember seeing an interview with the Screen Factory on there as well. So I guess they got some some new ones here. So archive interview with Mary Maud from 2012 edition of Festival of Fantastic Films. All About My Mama, brand new interview with uh, Juan Tibon, author of the original story. The Legacy of Terror, brand new interview with director's son, Alejandro Inabenez. Um, Screaming the House Down, a brand new interview with Spanish horror expert, Dr. Antonio Lazar Rebel, discussing history of the film and its director. Alternative footage from the original Spanish theatrical version, trailers, TV spots. And we also have... Um, um, we have it with Spanish audio and English audio on brand new audio commentary by critic Anna Bokoslavka. That's a very hard name to pronounce, and I did listen to a bit of that. I pretty much went through that and listened to her talk about it, and she's from the Final Girls podcast, and she's just also Spanish, and she kind of talked about this film and compared it to a lot of other things. You know, this, this is a great film, and the first time I liked it. But this time around, it kind of won me over. I just was taken back how, how beautiful the gothic setting was, the acting, the characters, and the psychological aspects. I, I really like these kind of deals. Now, it's not... I, I would compare it to even The Wind is Afraid, which is another... I believe that one's Mexican, actually, from the 60s. I do think it has similarities to that. And, like, I do like these boarding girl house ones. Um, there's a handful from the 60s, including some of the Hammer ones, like Lust of the Vampire, I believe, is one of those. And, um, geez, what is the, the Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitorium, I feel think feels kind of in the same line of course that's an italian film but yeah this one is really solid really good stuff i recommend the house that screamed now it is nice seeing arrow put some of these uh out of print screen factories out um i think blood and lace not blood and black lace by mario bava i think blood and lace from 1971 would be a nice pickup from arrow i think that movie could use some you know rediscovery even though it was put out on blu-ray like seven years ago but still it's probably forgotten again unfortunately and that's a weird one so and it kind of has some similarities to this i guess um but that one's pg and sleazy this one you know it has like the kind of underlining stuff you could tell in 69 a lot of this would have been cut out you could tell that why there's like a 15 minute difference in the virgin so anyways both are on here check it out for sure the house that screamed good stuff Okay, the next one is another one from Arrow Films, and this is Millionaire's Express, um, starring the man, the myth, the legend, Sam O'Hung. Uh, yeah, and I believe directed by Sam O'Hung. It also has Symphony of Rothrock in here, and a million other familiar faces. Um, if I'd be doing a disservice if I tried to name every martial artist I recognized in this movie. So it has a lot of Shaw Brother regulars, a lot of the guys that pop up in like the Deadly Venom movies, and just a slew of recognizable faces. So going through a lot of these Hong Kong and martial arts films, uh, I, I've noticed like the one kind of there's tons of standout guys tons of people that i really enjoy seeing from jackie chan to um uh you know some of the, the five deadly venoms to Anthony rothrock but the one that i've kind of gravitated to most i'm not saying he's the best i'm just saying i like his attitude i like his screen presence would have to be uh samuel hung He's just an absolute blast. I, I love the guy. He's funny. His martial arts style is unique. And you don't often get to see a big guy roll roll around and tumble and roll and, and square up with people like that. 
and he is a comical character in a lot of the movies he plays in. You know, spooky encounters of, of the encounters of the spooky kind, stuff like that, or spooky encounters, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and even the ones with Jackie Chan. But it, it, he just, I love the way he has his demeanor and everything like that. So basically, this is such a, a bonkers movie. Like this is kind of just like a a, a, a romp, a, a, a comedy of airs, martial arts movie. So what we have here is a, a this train that it, it's a period piece. Samuel Hong is kind of like this uh, grifter kind of character that has martial arts. In the very beginning, he gets in this run-in with all these Russian soldiers, which is a really funny scene. Um, and essentially, let me let me explain this first. There's four cuts in the movie on here. There's theatrical, the international, the export, and then like the hybrid that incorporates all of it. I decided to watch the hybrid. My first view it was like an hour and 44 minutes, so I didn't miss anything or see anything. So Samuel Hong is basically, uh, he's, he's kind of a pimp. And he's like this martial arts grifter kind of guy. And he essentially is run out of this town in the very beginning. And he like gets out of there just in time in a hilarious fashion. And actually turns the tables and turns like the blame on somebody else, which is great. When they're about to like basically lynch him and all the prostitutes. So he gets out of there. And he decides to go back to his own hometown. And his hometown, you know, obviously he has some, you know, problems there. They don't want him there. But at the same time, recently the police force had double-crossed everyone and decided to rob the bank after they burned down a house. So they're on the run. Um, I think the fire chief has taken over. Now he's looking for the criminals. Samuel Hung comes in here and they clash heads. And Samuel Hung decides that there's this huge millionaire express full train full of rich people on there. Um, also loaded with a bunch of people trying to do their own scheme and everything including a cheating husband and uh, a group of outlaws that want to rob everyone on the train and get this scroll that these Japanese characters are carrying so it's insane so essentially Samuel Hung's idea is to knock this train off the track so they all have to stop in his hometown so he can be a hero and the brothel that he's running so they can make a bunch of money it does not go that way what happens is you end up with this ragtag group of people including some of the Japanese people some of the prisoners uh, some of the police officers that double cross there the firemen the prostitutes Samuel Hong, all fighting these group of bandits. Um, Synthony Rothrock is one of the bandits. A bunch of other familiar faces are in the bandits. Like I said, Shaw Brothers alumni, tons of martial artists, everybody and their brothers in here. They all have unique like uh, styles and everything. You remember who they are and it's just really great to see it. I wish I was more versed in who their names are and everything they've been in, but just watching about like, you know, 25 to 30 of these uh, uh, you know, kung fu movies in the past few years, it's like, oh, and that guy is in here and that guy and that person and, and that, that venom and, and whatever and it's just was really awesome and unique but uh, my favorite scene again is when Cynthia Rothrock and you know Samuel Hung square up it's just a really brilliant scene and the faces they make and the, the moves they land anyways this movie's great this is a blast this is an excellent movie like I said four different versions on here started listening to some of the commentary with Frank Jin and that was really entertaining he talks about you know the history of Samuel Hung and some of that stuff and how this movie came to be but there's a lot of features on here as well so essentially what we have here is commentary on the theatrical track. Um, then we have commentary on the extended cut. Um, the comment, the theatrical is Frank Jin. Commentary on the extended is Mike Leader and Arnie Vimia. A select commentary by Star Symphony Rockred, moderated by Frank Jin. Three video interviews with Rothrock, New Frontier and Express Delivery. Two archival interviews with Samuel Hung, Way Out West, an archival interview with Young Boyle. On the cutting edge, an interview, archival interview with Star Yushikari Ishima, an alternate English opening and closing credits. And we have other stuff. So, I mean, like, 
four cuts of the movie in the special edition. The longest being an, uh, about an hour and fifty or uh, forty-nine minutes. Um, it's really great. This movie was a blast. It's entertaining. Again, a great double feature. We had Magnificent Warriors, which I covered last week. Both a lot of fun. I, I don't think you could go wrong. This one, I think, I don't know which one I preferred, but it has a lot of good characters in here. This one is just ADHD heaven, right? Okay, the next one is an upgrade, and this is from Blue Underground, and this is Philosophy and Boudoir, Eugenie, Marquise de Sade's Eugenie, and I covered this for 1970. This is one of five films that Jess Franco directed in 1970 that we know about, including like Count Dracula, what is that, Shadows, what's the one with that night, uh, Nightmares Come at Night, um, a bunch of other ones as well, uh, The Bloody Judge, and I think, does this one produced by Harry, Pow uh, Harry Allen Towers, or was the other one? Yeah, this one was produced produced by Harry Allen Towers. And this one, yeah, like I said, it else has Christopher Lee in there. As, as Maria Romp in this, I feel like she's in all of them. Yeah, she's in this one. And of course, Jack Taylor. Everybody loves Jack Taylor. He's in a bunch of Jess Franco movies, Jose uh, Ramon Larez movies, Larez movies. So yeah, anyways, uh, this one is super sleazy. Um, now, Christopher Lee doesn't have a huge role in it, but uh, yeah, he has a, a decent-sized role. This is, you know, pretty exploitative, pretty sleazy, but 1970, pushing the boundaries. And in 4K, it looks amazing. Amazing. So, essentially, you guys know Jess Franco's M.O. He kind of made movies with, you know, a decent cast, a lot of nudity, and uh, a fairly amazing location. Sometimes he would let the locations do a lot of the work for him. But the thing about Jess Franco is he was very prolific. He, he was, and, and the thing is, he loved making movies, and he never really stopped making movies until the day he died. And I always respect Jess Franco for that. And I always, and, and you know what, as many movies as he made, he made some pretty good ones, basically on the budget. And this one is a pretty solid one. So, such what we have here is, you know, I'm not too familiar with the works of Marquise de Sade. You know, I know Salo, the movies and stuff, all the movies based off Marquise de Sade are inspired by Marquise de Sade. And I remember Marquise de Sade in the, in the movie Waxwork, of course, but you know what I'm saying? I'm not as well versed in his literature as I should be. But I know his, his story and things like that. So essentially, this is probably loosely based on it, from my understanding. And Nathaniel Thompson and Troy Howard, they have a new commentary on here, which is nice. And they talk a little bit about the history of the movie, the work that he, Jess Franco, made with Harry Allen Towers, and including one of the, the Fu Manchu movies, which didn't do very well. One of them didn't, I don't believe. Um, so, so essentially, yeah, they go through all that stuff. But the story is, um, it's really sleazy and really dirty. Um, Jack Taylor is kind of promised sex... Um, if he lets his underage daughter go to this island uh, resort with this group of weirdos because Jack Taylor is fiending for her. So essentially, Justine goes there. Or Eugenie, sorry, I'm mixing up the movies. I don't want to mix up Eugenie and Justine because I'm covering them both this time. But Eugenie goes there and she is uh, molested and tortured and they put her through all these kind of Marquise de Sade-esque things until eventually the movie, uh, the group of like cult people show up and being Christopher Lee and all that kind of weird stuff. And there's a huge twist, a really bizarre kind of crazy twist that you're like, what the fuck? Okay, but it makes it a little bit more interesting a little bit more wild. Um, the movie, is, the runtime is pretty short, if I remember correctly. I feel like this one goes by much quicker than the other one, and I don't mean that as an insult to the other film either. So, uh, yeah, the one thing that really took away from the 4K is it looks amazing, but the one stuff that was a lot, like I started tripping, I felt like I was actively like hallucinating, was because they had these. The whole movie turns red at certain points, like they'll have these red lights. I think when the the characters are entering the frame, it's like the uh, the proto cinnabites, right? But uh, and, and it's just like boom, you're like. 
oh wow like it's so red and so vibrant and like the hdr and you're just like i cannot focus right now it kind of creates like a hallucinatory kind of thing going on and i i guess that's to the the positive of the release but uh besides the new commentary with nathaniel thompson and troy howarth we have um old um uh, ported over extras for version stories interview director jess franco writer producer harry allen towers and stars uh Mati Ladal and Christopher Lee, Stephen Thrower and Eugenie interview with author of Murderer's Passions to the Delirious Cinema of Jess Franco, and new Jack Taylor in Francoverse interview with star Jack Taylor. <laughs> Francoverse. <laughs> Who the fuck wrote Francoverse on the back of that? That's great. I want to be in the Francoverse. The good thing about Francoverse is, well, you're either getting killed or you're having sex, or maybe both at the same time. But anyways, if you like Eugenie, this is an upgrade. And I, if you like Just Franco, I would recommend picking it up. This is one of his more produced films you know i mean like later those sov movies i've seen one and i was like that's it no more sov just franco for me no thank you um but i will watch all just franco's old movies for sure dig what he does okay the next one here is the marquise de sade's justine another upgrade and this is the first time watch for me i'd had seen eugenie but i never saw marquise de sade justine and this is a sprawling epic what is this two hours and four minutes now i knew right away when i popped in i was like two hours and four minutes there's no way that 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 movie originally ran that and of course in the commentary nathaniel thompson and troy howarth the new one they did they mentioned that they talk about the different versions of the movie what what the different like media versions and everything like that and i was like there's no way that originally ran for two hours and four minutes no one will watch that in a theater especially kind of like a soft core is what you're looking for here so essentially this is again loosely based on the works of marquise de sade um and it follows justine and um this is a pretty uh interesting movie like it's it's sprawling kind of like i don't even know how to put this it's definitely like one of these classic like this is 69 i think but it feels like those stories where you just have like a character going through and meeting all these zany weird characters and having all these awful things happen to them one that was a little bit more modern was the aftermath from 85 a little bit more modern where it's the belgian film where the guy lives the apocalypse and he's runs into people and they abuse him and whatever and there's a million movies like this some softcore some hardcore some not any so so like it's definitely in that vein right um so justine's parents her and her sister's parents die they're in i believe a, co- a convent or, or like a, a kind of a religious school they are basically kicked out of the school with a small amount of money um justine is uh the, the sister decides to go into a life of prostitution to make ends meet and justine tries to stay righteous tries to stay proud and religious and what happens is one uh basically has success in life and one goes through a series of awful encounters with tons and tons of people now klaus kinski as the marquise de Sade is locked up and he is writing this story which is i guess what it really was happening here klaus kinski does not speak um he there's a narration but it's actually narrated by jack palance go figure um yeah and then then the commentary nathaniel thompson and troy howarth basically explain that claus rarely dubbed himself over because he wanted more money yes of course that sounds like Klaus Kinski from the stories you hear about him so yeah so he didn't dub himself over here so he basically sits silent in a cell looking crazy similar to how he did in Jess Frankel's Count Dracula from 1970 as he when he played Renfield or probably what he did in his everyday life when he wasn't working so essentially Justine goes around and she runs into all these kind of people that take advantage of her they they ridicule all sorts of awful things now the sets are amazing it feels like a big sprawling epic there's a lot of prison scenes and some of the better characters she runs into what is this actress's name i want to make sure i said it mercedes where is she they got to mention her if they don't uh it basically um mercedes mccambridge and she voiced uh partially reagan um basically she voiced you know linda blair in the exorcist 
And she's excellent in this movie. She's chewing the scenery. She's having a wonderful time. She plays like this leader of this quartet of criminals, uh, you know, and she's excellent. She's she's really fun in it, and she helps uh, Justine break out. Also, she runs into Jack Palance, who is insane in this movie. If you thought his performances in some movies were over the top and weird, like Tango and Cash or Torture Garden, where he's just like, <sighs> that's like times 10 here. Um, in the commentary, they mentioned they think he was drunk. I would not. I, he seems drunk. He seems very drunk, but it's Jack fucking Palance. The guy's got a lot of screen presence. He's excellent in this. And uh, his, his scene is really fun and weird and wild. Also, you got Howard Vernon as one of his uh, kind of uh, buddies. Um, yeah, so, so lots of good people in this movie. Lots of sleaze, lots of nudity, and it's epic. And I don't think the original story probably ended like how this movie ends. It's kind of like your Hollywood ending, even though it's just Franco, how, how Hollywood can just Franco get. But definitely it seems like it was a little on the softer side than it should have ended because the message you kind of get through here is why don't you sin and defile and just be debaucherous and you'll succeed otherwise if you're righteous you fail but they kind of it's kind of like who saw her die right the giallo where they just kind of like go back at the last minute and you're like oh you just went from like a four to a three and a half or something like that i love that movie but who saw her die that little that ending is just like Fulci wouldn't have done that and i always bring that up um don't torture duckling didn't do that but who saw her die did just to save face and i feel like this one does it a little bit now this one's a good one to have in 4k because they said there's multiple locations it's a big movie there's lots of great sets and everything and uh besides that there's other features on here besides the new commentary there's also a new on set with jess with interview with star uh, rosalbel neri she's in a bunch of stuff deadly sanction the shorter u.s version of high definition and then some old ones the perils of pleasure of justine interviews the director jess franco and harry allen towers oh harry allen towers produced both of these i guess and steven throw around justine interview with author of murderous passion the delirious cinema of Jess Franco. So yeah, if you're a fan of the movie, it has the Blu-ray and the 4K. Yeah, good stuff. And HDR as well. And uh, I think it Dolby Sound, Dolby Vision. Okay, there we go. Good stuff. Okay, next up, we have a double feature from Ronin Flicks, and let's hop into the first one. Um, this is a Jet Li double fe- feature, and I must admit, you know, I've seen uh, some of Jet Li's American stuff, Romeo Must Die, um, Lethal Weapon 4, but I don't know all the Jet Li stuff. I've seen a couple of the other ones, too. The one where he's in the tournament, I'm not going to go through which, which is Hero, I think. I can't I can't remember. That's not the one, but whatever. So, uh, Fist of Legend. We'll, we'll talk about that one first from, what, 1994, and this is a re- remake or a loose remake of Fist of Fury, the Bruce Lee movie. Again, Bruce Bruce Lee is kind of a blind spot for me. I know Bruce Lee. I know I've seen a lot of movies that were inspired by Bruce Lee. I know the history, a little bit of Bruce Lee, but I haven't seen that many Bruce Lee movies. I buy the sets and everything, hoping that I'll find time to watch them. So we have Fist of Legends. So essentially what we have here is this is a very typical kind of, even though it's in the 90s, it feels a lot like the old Shaw Brothers movies kind of plots and in certain ways, you know, a lot of the Kung Fu. We always have the Chinese versus the Japanese and martial arts and everything like this. But as they say in the special features here, this one's a little bit more fair to the Japanese for once. Usually the Japanese are the straight-up villains and everything like that. And they always will come in and try to compare their martial arts style to the Chinese martial arts style. And get they'll, they'll be really tough and scary and brutal and mean, but they usually lose pretty bad at the end, spectacular fashion. Almost all the Golden Harvest or Shaw Brothers or whatever movies I watch, that typically is how it ends. So what we have here is... Um, so Jet Li is a martial artist and he's studying abroad in Japan. He has a girlfriend or uh, kind of a, a blooming relationship with this young girl. And what happens is um, basically he gets message that his master has died. So he heads back to China 
and uh, he finds out that he lost in a battle with a Japanese guy that's in their location. At this point, Japan is kind of imperialistic in China, um, and they're ruling everyone and treating the Chinese very poorly. This creates definitely something between you know the Chinese and Japanese, and Jet Li kind of oversteps his bounds against the master's son and challenges the Japanese um, you know, sensei or master and beats the ever-living shit out of him. That makes him question whether his master truly lost fairly. So he opens up a huge can of worms and realizes that the military's involved and everything and uh, they're starting to be corrupt and people falling out and love stories and all this kind of stuff. Now here, let me talk about stuff that you guys want to hear about. Um, the fighting. The fighting's really, um, you know, it, it's, it's typical in a lot of these kung fu movies to where it's not exactly realistic but it has like a more harsh grittier feel to it than a lot of the other ones i've seen because when jet lee hits people all the punches and kicks they look real they look legit except people fly halfway across the fucking room sometimes and that doesn't seem very realistic but some of the act action here seems a little bit more realistic if that makes sense you don't have a lot of the wah ha ha like stuff like that where it's like i don't know if that would actually do anything like you know dragon claw shit where you're like pulling out people like touching their like head like bop 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 and then just like six guys fall down dead we don't really have that we, I mean, we have a little bit more brutality and fighting and everything like that. So, anyways, there is some comedy elements involved with this, especially with the Japanese, uh, um, you know, uh, the Japanese father of his love interest and all this kind of stuff. And they do tackle a lot of racism and stuff like that in here. So it makes it a little bit more, you know, political, a little bit more, you know, weight to it. So this one was really good. Fist of Legend, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Jet Li is really good in it. He has his own persona. He's a tough-ass mofo. And it has a lot of, uh, here we go, let me get the special features on here because there is a slew of them. Um, Man Behind the Legend, an exclusive interview with director Gordon Chan. Brother in Arms, an exclusive interview with Kung Fu impersonaro Chin Su Hu. The Way of the Warrior, an exclusive interview with Japanese action legend Kurata Yasuku. And the School of Hard Knocks, a screen fighting seminar at the celebrated Kurata Action School. A look at the Fist of Legend with director Brent Radner and cr- film critic Elvis Mitchell. Deleted scenes, original theatrical trailer. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and Elvis Mitchell and Brent Radner definitely have a love for this. And they go into a lot of the stuff that I mentioned and more, of course. And uh, I, I like the interview with the director. The director seemed like a highly intelligent guy and uh, just seemed to like explain how he called the original director and talk to him and make sure he got his blessing and everything like that before he watched uh before he went ahead and directed this okay the next one from the jet lee set is the tai chi master and uh yeah this one is basically a period piece it also has michelle yao in there of course and jet lee so yeah this one was more in line with the typical kung fu films i watch but they all have that same element you know like uh this one is it's pretty epic though it's, it's a big movie. It's a big movie. So we have two monks that grew up uh, together. Um, and basically, one of them had like kind of a more aggressive style. He just couldn't hold his temper. And he's basically excommunicated from the temple. And Jet Li uh, goes with him. Jet Li is the more level-headed one. And they decide to venture out into the real world. Um, right away, they kind of realize that there's a lot of problems there. And there's a group of, you know, basically an army that's really imperialistic catching a pattern here and uh basically the way to be successful is to kind of join them and we have the evil kind of more i don't want to say evil but more aggressive brother going along with them 
and we have the more you know good-natured one Jet Li staying back. So this is very typical in a lot of the um, what is the, the ones like a lot of the Shaw Brothers movies. The boxer from Shang Tuong has a similar story, right? Where we have a couple characters and one chooses the path of like, like greed and one doesn't. Although I think that the character in Boxer of Shang Tuong is a good guy, while this one is is kind of more the opposite. But we definitely have that. We have that also the hero, which was another one that was remade, basically Boxer of Shang Tuong. So we have that storyline, right? Of basically one chooses the good way and one chooses chooses the uh, the righteous way one chooses the unrighteous way so essentially of course you know what's going to happen here right the the village uh, jet lee's in is going to be head to head with the army imperialistic forces and his brother has climbed the ranks so this pits them against each other there's a lot of big epic battles um it's violent a lot of characters get killed a lot of characters that you know are decent well-established characters there's some humor and everything like that all of the characters get to throw down some some brutal stuff the main villain is really good too he's a creepy kind of guy very excellently portrayed so this one's really solid really good stuff entertaining big epic fun um different from the other one these two are, are good kind of double feature because they're they're obviously star jet lee they show his talents but they show two different time periods and they show two different kind of characters that he can play so i, I enjoy both of them the chai chi master as far as special features are concerned we have nemesis exclusive interview with star chin su hu the birthplace of tai chi on location in chen village meditations on the master the film director brent ratner and film critic elvis mitchell discuss yung well wo ping twin warriors film director brent ratner film critic elvis mitchell discuss jess lee and michelle yoon michelle yoon obviously was in one of the biggest movies of last year she was also in magnificent warriors which i covered last week so yeah anyways these are both two nice editions um, of two fun movies now i'd never seen them before i know people that are like dave how are you not know Jet Li you know I was mostly a horror cult guy and Jet Li is a cult guy but you know I mixed a, missed a lot of the mixed martial arts movies you know from this from uh, you know Asia and everything like that I'm finally getting into them and I'm enjoying them there's another uh, couple Jet Li movies coming out soon from uh, Ronin Flicks I look forward to checking out so yeah Okay, uh, next week or the week after, we're covering like the animals' attacks on 22 Shots, and we picked dogs. And this was actually my pick. And this is a French movie from 1989 that I'd heard about for a while called Beware of the Dog That Thinks, Baxter. And I was told or heard that this was basically Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer as told by a dog. It's a bull terrier, which is fun to me. And uh, yeah, so right away when I heard like the narration of the dog talking, it reminded me a lot of Baby Blood, which is another French movie where like there's this little parasitic like uh, Lovecraftian god creature in this woman and it keeps talking like, I need blood and, and like just talks out loud to her. But like his voice and everything and his demeanor reminded me a lot of that. So essentially we kind of have this divided in like kind of chapters, I guess you would say, where this bull terrier has different owners and everything. And we kind of are cutting back between all the characters and his future owners and they all kind of intermingle with each other and everything like that so essentially the bull terrier is given as a gift to um this guy's mother-in-law she's lonely and she seems okay at first and she does not like the dog and the dog explains the smell of fear and everything and he does not care for her and one day she gets injured she becomes kind of like this recluse and, and tragic things happen different things unfold and the dog ends up going across the street to where he wants to go with a couple but yeah, things just don't work out and he ends up eventually with a troubled soul and this young kid who's obsessed with you know world war ii and and the dog learns a lot and it's kind of really fucked up it's, it's a twisted movie and and pretty crazy um and like there's a lot of elements and the dog has like this smugness about him and intelligence about him which you know it's weird is a lot of the people he's around don't the dog has more knowledge and understanding than a lot of people but it's also he also falls to his primitive estates and is disgusted with himself so it's like kind of a dark comedy in a lot of ways in the weirdest kind of ways it's not 
out laugh out loud funny, but I guess you could say the absurdity and weirdness of the entire thing comes across as some sort of bizarre comedy in a lot of ways. But you know, it's just imagine it's the best way to explain this: a Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer inner monologue as told by a dog. Um, it's well shot. The score is really well done. The characters are well established. I like how the script unfolds, and it's dark. It's it's dark. It has some really disturbing subject matter in here, and just like sad. I guess I would say sad less than depre- disturbing. It's just like sad and depressing in a lot of ways. Just humanity and and general as told through a dog that wants to kill everything. Basically not, and the dog has its reasons why it kills and stuff like that. So I like that stuff. Um, uh, there is a commentary with Mark Savage, who's an Australian film director. I believe he did Road. Uh, what was that one? Um, Road uh, Purgatory Road that On Earth put out a few years back, and it was excellent kind of Southern Gothic film. And he has a bunch of other movies too, Sa- Sensitive New Age Killers, and I can't think of his other ones. It's been a while. You know, I've only seen Purgatory Road, and I have that box set that um, was subversive put out years back and I never, ever did watch it. I'll have to get to it. But, uh, Mark Savage, uh, he talks a little bit about the movie differences between the book and the film and everything like that. But Baxter, interesting, weird shit. Uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it. This is up my alley. It's kind of bizarre shit. Okay, the Patreon pick is by Dan the Cameraman, and he told me, basically, since we didn't know what the one thing meant, like director spot, whatever, he said, pick, um, basically my favorite composer, Riz Ortolani. He said, uh, pick one of the scores, a movie that he scored that you have not seen. So I was going through it, and I looked at one, and I said, Confessions of a Police Captain. Who is it? By Dalamano, Dalamino, I cannot say his name. I think this guy did a bunch of, like, uh, you know, kind of, like, Euro crime films and dramas, but he also did Amityville 2, The Possession, if I'm not mistaken. And this movie stars Franco Nero and Martin Balsam, two excellent actors. It also stars the asshole from In the Folds of the Flesh from 1970, who plays kind of the bald criminal. He's also in this as a creep and, a, and an asshole. But uh, yeah, this movie's excellent. And the score by Riz Ortolani, it's one I've heard before. It's one that gets stuck in your head. I'll play it. It's great stuff. It's amazing. So yeah, I mean, you really can't go wrong with Franco Nero or Martin Balsam in a leading role. Martin Balsam, you know, is from a lot of classic films like Psycho, um, Cape Fear, 12 Angry Men, and of course, a lot of things like Death Wish 3 and Two Evil Eyes. But I love Martin Balsam, and I, I don't get to see him typically star in a role. Franco Nero's excellent as a DA, and uh, Martin Balsam's like a, a police captain. I don't know how high up he is. Maybe he's pretty high up. So essentially what happens is um, right in the beginning of this film, Martin Balsam is in this insane institution, a mental institution, and he wants this guy named the Pumba to be released. He's like, release that man. And right away, this puma goes out to try to carry out uh, this kill, and he, he kills like three guys and dies himself. And this kind of brings the attention of the DA to him, and they start to dig deeper. And you kind of realize this police captain has it out for this guy, this one uh, kind of criminal mastermind that has ties to all these political figures and higher-ups and everything like that, so it complicates shit. Now, Franco Nero, um, they start to accuse each other of being in on it and everything like that, that they're both in you know, these political people's pockets, and you really don't know where any of them align. And it's really wonderful in that aspect where you don't know where they stand, if they're traitors and anything like that, and they have a sole witness that they both are kind of fighting over and Martin Bowles refuses to give them up but they start to argue and and they kind of bring things to light martin balsam tells them all sorts of things and you're seeing franco nero learn about the world and the corruption through martin balsam's old haggard you know job and it's a it's a fucking excellent movie there's some action in here too martin balsam is is a wonderful great performance one of his best performances i've seen and it's nice to see him get to 
starter role. Franco Nero is also good in here, and there's this great scene where Martin Balsam's like, well, he's like, how do they know you're not on the paper? He's like, maybe you won't be on the paper. Well, maybe one day you'll come and they'll offer you a penthouse really cheap, and, and they'll say that and you don't worry about the loan or something like that. And then later throughout the movie, this guy comes and he's like, do you really want to offer you the third floor or like the 10th floor or this penthouse? He's like, I can't afford that on this. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. We, we're more interested in your character than your wallet. And you're just like, oh shit. Like he's trying to bribe him. So excellent in that stuff like that. And it's a dark ass movie. It's really dark. It's really sad and really twisted. And just, I feel like this is probably made during the years of lead, which is that, you know, I, I've learned a lot about this stuff. Not like I'm an expert on it, but Italy's like political turmoil and violence and stuff like that. Just to kind of show you how like hopeless uh, the corruption was and it goes all the way to the top you know and it's it's an angry movie and it's a true movie i feel like there's a lot of truth to it and like the only good cop um is actually just you know he's worthless in a lot of ways like this and just there's nothing you can do against the real true criminals not you know the street kids or the guys who flip out and they show this brilliant scene where martin balsam there's this little kid who freaks out with a gun and he basically saves his ass and because he feels like that's you know Nowadays, that doesn't look so good, right? Because obviously we have so many of these active shooters and stuff like that. But he gives this kid a break. But he's not looking to, you know... He gives this homeless guy a break with stole a pair of shoes. He gives these petty criminals a break. Because he realizes they're not really the main problem. The main problem is the corruption and the evil and the murder and all this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an excellent movie. I would really highly recommend it. Nero and Bal Martin Balsam are at the top of their game. And this director is good. Really good stuff. I'll have to check out some more of his films. The score by Riz Ortolani is, ah, wonderful. So great stuff. It's getting these questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. Ken Coakley. I agree that sci-fi movies of the 50s still stand up today. One of my favorites was When Worlds Collide. One of my favorite scenes from that was when a man was selected to go on the new planet, but his wife wasn't. Upon finding out, he volunteered to give up his seat. I also love the day the Earth stood still because the topic of nuclear annihilation is pretty one-sided. The remake was inferior. Keanu Reeves kind of phoned in his performance, and on the topic was... Uh, and the topic was more divisive. The remake of War of the Worlds wasn't as good as the original either. You know, I really do dig the the uh, remake of War of the Worlds, but yeah. So uh, this may get some heat from some of the viewers, but I prefer the original Invaders from Mars to the Toby Hooper directed 1986 version. I'm also partial to anything done by Ray Harryhausen. Love Ray Harryhausen. As far as the original, I never saw the 1951 Invaders from Mars, but I will say I do like the Hooper ver version, but it does kind of lose its steam in the last act. You know, you're kind of like, this is a bit long, right? Uh, Ken Coakley goes on. Ian uh, Ugly and Stephanie Beecham from And the Now the Screaming Starts had both been in some really good films. Ivan Eagley was in She-Beast and The Conqueror Worm, both directed by Michael Reeves. He is also in The Sorcerer's Boris Karloff, which I also think is Michael Reeves' movie. Reeves only did, what, three movies and then died? Puppet Master 5 as well as Death Becomes Her. I heard an interview with Ugly in which he tells a story about working with the Price and The Conqueror Worm. One day at the craft service, people didn't show up to feed the cast. Price was appalled, so he had a crew member drive him to the local supermarket that went to buy a grill, then returned and made lunch for an entire cast and crew. Vincent Price is the best. Ugly was a standout in The Conqueror or worm. Uh, Michael Reeves died way too young. He died of alcohol and barbiturate overdose. I knew that. Uh, Stephen Bitchin was in Dracula AD, 1972, Schizoid, and Inseminoid. I just watched Schizoid, um, and I've seen Inseminoid and Dracula AD. I've seen all those movies. It's funny. She looked familiar, but sometimes I can't remember everybody. And The Screaming Starts really has a, quite a cast. As you mentioned, Herbert Lama's The Mark of the Devil with Reggie Nalder from Salem's Lot, of course, and Bird with Crystal Plumage. I just found out that Nalder didn't like Salem's Lot because he was only shown for a total of 90 seconds, but they were very memorable 90 seconds. He was excellent in it. Everybody remembers him. Um, I also just watched Mysterious Island last weekend, which Lom played Captain Nemo. Lom was also in my favorite Cronenberg film, The Dead Zone. He's great in The Dead Zone. I'd kill the bastard. Yeah, I, I, Herbert Lom's the best in everything. And Dead Zone's a good one.
Travis Lindscum, another awesome show, Dave. I have and inf- I watched Infernal Rapist, and boy, you're right, it delivers on its premise. What a crazy, ruthless movie! I loved it. I hope we get more Mexi exploitation in our future. Me too. Nick Moore, lovely review for now. The screaming starts. I'll rewatch this one soon and keep the points you made in mind, sir. Many thanks. Pity Ian Ugly decided to do less acting. Nerves apparently. He was always excellent. That hand sure gave me the creeps. I believe it was the same hand used in Amicus's Doctor Tears House of Horrors, where it chased Christopher Lee. Um. Die from a hand. I'm trying to think of the one. Oh, questions. Uh, one, how would you fight against a dis- disembodied hand or other body part? Now, if it's from and the screaming stops on the starts, I'm screwed because that thing is like a ghost hand. What are you gonna? You can't fight a ghost. Um, but a disembodied hand, I don't know. I'd lock myself somewhere. Make sure he didn't get in the vents. Um, and I would just hope that if I, I took the hand out, I wouldn't have a body parts issue where the guy coming looking for the hand is going to kill me. Two, you stated that you enjoyed the works of both David and Brandon Cronenberg. Does the same apply to both Stephen King and his son Joe Hill? Uh, or are their sons better than their dads? Um, David Cronenberg, as far as the caliber and amount of work he did, I would say Cronenberg's better. I mean, Brandon only has three movies. That's not fair. And as far as Stephen King and his son Joe Hill, I've not really read many Joe Hill stuff. I've seen stuff adapted from Joe Hill, like The Black Phone, and I think it's good. But uh, it's kind of hard. I mean, Stephen King is has a legacy. Joe Hill's just, I mean, he's not just starting out, but he's not Stephen King yet. Have you seen Severance Tale of the Uncanny, their big doc on anthology horror? Yeah, I think I even reviewed it. It's quite good. Until uh, next week, I hope that I find the time to watch all the movies you acquired. I'm trying to do the same. Hope I find the time. Horror Man Cave. I feel like Attack of the Beast Creatures is a good mixture of Trauma's War and Trilogy of Terror. Good good mixture. Also, Frostbiter is definitely my favorite trauma movie. It's a great Evil Dead ripoff with a, with a chilly monster and a Wendigo thrown in. Sounds fun. Or, and he says, good shit, man. Thank you. Chris Harper, R.I.P. Paul Walker, and Nikki uh, Adcox. Dwight Davis, I ordered uh, Magnificent Wars. It looks good. Nice to see more Hong Kong films getting restored and put on Blu-ray. For show. Matthew Hale, From Beyond has been uncut since the MGM 20th Century Fox DVD. I remember having that DVD. I remember having a VHS. Sometimes I'm getting old. It's been so... I remember buying that DVD right when it came out. I think it... Did it come out September 11th? Because I remember before 9-11, there was, a, there was one day where like 10 nine ten movies got released on september 11 and i bought like all of them and i was so excited like food of the gods was one of them so it's so long to remember you know i've been doing this a while and then uh but thanks for the info and uh anthotologically steve hey dave are you getting the severin Lindsay uh millions box set got mine yesterday it's spectacular looking forward to your thoughts on it love the channel keep up dude yeah um i'm not gonna show it in the update because we're gonna be reviewing this bad boy i'll get to it next week uh and then P.S. Especially love your Troy Howarth episodes. Me too. Thank you. Isimicio, isn't it a shame that Raphael Delpard only made two horror films? For sure. Happy to, and she's referring to, I covered Clash last week, and he also directed Night of Death from 1980. Happy to hear you enjoyed both, especially Night of Death. I love Clash as well. Saw Megan and honestly had to do three sittings to get through the film. It was so goofy. I love how Gemma had no visible sadness towards her sister dying for pretty much the entire movie. I'm skipping over your Infinity Pool review because I haven't seen it yet. Watching it this weekend. I enjoyed Antivirus a lot. Possessor was okay, but his style is on point, so we will see. Uh, Gary Turley, roll on third, April 4th, Cool Hand Luke, uh, of April 4K, Cool Hand Luke and Maltese Falcon Steelbooks. Nice. I wouldn't mind having um, either of those on 4K. Jeffrey Jeffrey Jeff, 1999. Great episode. Congrats on 300 episodes in six years and doing it so well. Absolutely one of my favorite channels. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it, guys. Um, you know, some days I'm a little down, a little beat up. You know, I only got so much energy. I only, I'm getting old. Time is running out. But uh, let's hop into the update. I, you know what? 
It's four titles. I'm just going to do them here because I'm a lazy boy. So let's just hop right into them. The first one up is going to be the 4K from Kino Lorber from Death Wish. I did this on the Target buy one, get one 50% off. So I paid $20 for the 4K Death Wish. Michael Winterfilm, Charles Bronson is one of my all-time favorites. How can I not have Death Wish on 4K? How can I not have more Bronson in my life? Uh... I love Bronson movies. Then we have another Kino here, That Man Bolt with Fred Williamson. I can go wrong with Fred Williamson. Uh, good stuff. Don't know this one too well. Um, not really sure on the plot, but I, I love Fred Williamson. Again, one of these tough guy actors. And then we have another one here, The Plague, the Zombie Trilogy from Severn Films. Intervision, I guess. Um, I always wanted to see these. I have the DVD of the first two, but Severn put them on Blu-ray. I was like, yes. So basically it's all three movies. Um, it has, what's on here? Uh, two discs set includes the complete trilogy for the first time ever, and plus all new documentaries and more. Plague de Zombie, Plague de Zombie, Zona Mutante, Plague de Monza, Zona, Zona Mutante, Revolution Toxicana, uh, whatever. Sorry for the pronunciation. But yeah, these look fun. And last but certainly not least, we have The Amusement Park by George A. Romero from 1975, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, this was on Shudder. Had to have the Blu-ray. Gotta, gotta support George Romero's movie, movies, even if he's dead. Love his stuff. So anyways, let's get out of here. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Yeah.